Hey folks, it's Tony Russo. Just a couple quick show notes. Um, show note number one, I messed up the audio a little bit, so it's a little wonky when I speak. Uh, sorry about that in advance. It's not awful, but it's not the best we've ever done. Um, and note number two, there's a little bit of salty language, so if that kind of thing bothers you, you may want to consider skipping this particular episode, but we will see you next week with our next guest. And for some reason, this uh, MSN community ended up having all these really kind of comparable strange left field writers and we would workshop stuff on there online in the wild west days of the internet and years later one of the guys uh, sean Barbasi, put together this um, pretend genius press publishing house and called everybody or you know email as it were everybody that did this primitive messaging board thing and started putting out our books it was just bizarre you were in the right place in the right time and you were published this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind their stories, the writing process, and any other miscellaneous writing stuff that we decide to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Josh Davis, a journalist and indie writer from Berlin, Maryland. Josh attended Salisbury University, and during this time, he had his first novel, What Rough Piece, published by ROR Publishing. Shortly afterwards, he took up reporting, and he is now the senior reporter and editor for the Ocean City Today newspaper. Josh has two other published works. His second is The Muse and the Mechanism, and the third is Vanishing is a Lost Art, both by Pretend Genius Press. Josh describes his style as, quote, thinly veiled autobiographical fiction, end quote. So welcome to the podcast, Josh. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to, great to have you on. One of the things that I think, you know, when you told me that you describe your style as thinly veiled autobiographical fiction, I mean, I sort I'm a, of... I'm a, I'm a pretentious asshole, yes. Well, you yeah. know, you can you can say that. That's, uh, <laughs> I was certainly not going to put that in the bio. I told uh, you you could. I know, but I think that... Uh, Maybe the green line. Allow me to one-up you. <laughs> what, what I've started writing, I'm calling now speculative nonfiction. See, yeah, all right. There yeah, you, you suck my battleship. <laughs> But one of the things that when when we were talking about that, um, and we were talking a little bit before the podcast, is um, so what you do is fiction. It's very sort of raw and descriptive, and you know, kind of all these sort of things are kind of kind of linked together and pulled together. And then your day job is journalism. It is fact A, fact B, fact C, and all that sort of thing. So, what is that like for you to kind of transition between a very almost formulaic style of writing maybe and then switching over to this total fiction and just playing with those things what's that what's that like in um mr davis's head (laughs) (laughs) so one mad jumble um you kind of have to beat it out of yourself when you're doing journalism and tell the other person's story and tell their truth and not you know um get too creative with it uh, or else you're cheating them you know with with fiction you can really do whatever you want although mostly i'm just you know, taking my own experience and changing the names to protect the innocent anyway. <laughs> right. Do you find that, um, do you find that it's hard to come out of, I do anyway, I, th- I think like when I'm in nonfiction and I'm going, in, and I sort of, and we had talked about this also, like I sort of root down in the facts and the nonfiction stuff. And then all of a sudden, like when I go to write fiction, I get to make it up. I right. suddenly find that very hard where it's, which I'm not sure if that's counterintuitive or not, but I mean, for you, is is it hard to make the switch, or is it something that you've just trained your brain over, to do over a period of time? 
I think right now it's harder to go back into the fiction. I'm so used to waking up and doing the journalism and going to sleep and thinking about the next day's writing and the interviews and going back to writing books and things like that is at this point difficult because I've trained myself to forget about it so I can not suck at my job, you know, <laughs> hopefully. Well, one of the, one of the things that I, my, my, my personal fiction trouble, and I think why you, why you use pretentious, which I don't think is true, <laughs> It, it like, totally is. <laughs> well, when you well, what, when you sit thinly veiled, and right. that's what that's what I, I if I try fiction, I'm like er, everybody. That's clearly not <laughs> right. Right. That's that's why I went with speculative nonfiction. Like, right. Yeah, this is what I think about what happened, and all the names stay the same because you're like you're writing it, and you're like this is clearly what happened. Like yeah. So speculative is a word that shields yourself. That, well, that's cool. I like that. Right? I mean, <laughs> Tony well, doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. From, from me having to admit how pretentious I'm <laughs> Oprah's yeah. going to come and knock on the door and yell at you. Right, and yeah. you, never, you never got your teeth done. <laughs> <laughs> There's teeth on your chair. You get teeth, and you get teeth, and you get teeth. Um, but you're, you're actually, I don't know if you're, you're, you're aware of this, but part of like a very proud tradition of writers before writers were people, they were yeah. um, the Hemingway effect. Right, they're, yeah. they're, they're reporters, and right. that's how you paid. I, I was very much, I, and kind of still, I'm very much the same way. Like I pay my bills from writing. Right, creative writing does not pay unless no, you're one of the three lucky people in the world. Right. Yeah. So instead of being a bitter, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Where which is okay. Which is okay. You, you can be a bitter reporter, like yeah, right, you're a bitter reporter, because right. that's a thing. Yeah, and you and you can still do your fiction on the side, and it's not. It's it feels a lot of times a little less, a little less gross to say yeah. Well, I'm, right. I'm, yeah. Because people pay me to write all the time. Right. So what do you do for a living? I'm a writer. You right. can still say that. It's legitimate. Right. Yeah, it feels yeah. different. And people say, oh, what do you do for writing? Oh, what do you do for a living? I'm a writer. And they just kind of look at you and be like, so you have no job. And then you say, oh, I'm a reporter. <laughs> right. And then it's right. like, oh, I, you have a legitimate job and I'm not talking to you because right. everything I say may you know, be right. used against yeah. me at it's some like point. It's like the old joke, how do you get a bass player off your porch? You pay him for the pizza. <laughs> da, da, you know, da. Yeah, right? <laughs> So. so for you, I remember we were talking a little while ago. You said the fiction actually came before the right before right. the journalism, though. Yeah, I, I walked into Eric Saylor's office uh, one day and was like, "Yeah, I write, you know, Jack Kerouac ripoff novels. Um, hire me. I don't have a job right now." And he went, "I vaguely like that kind of author. Okay, sure." You oh, know. I don't know Eric Saylor. He's the editor at Ocean City. No, Daily Times. Um, no, he does the, the seriographs. I think they're or the, the he screen does now. printing. See, he had to get a day job. Now he was the um, he was the executive editor at the Daily Times in Salisbury for a long time. Yeah, I remember. And that was my first professional writing job, other than after Greg Bassett. He was, yeah, he was there during. during Greg Bassett. That's correct. Yeah, no, I was... I, Welcome to History of the Daily Times. Yeah, I know, right? I don't know either of those people that suck. Oh, gotcha. Right. No, so I did a short stint in journalism, like, between my junior year of college and my senior year. And I Everybody experiments with journalism in college. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 in a, one of those uh, English major phases, right? right, right so right. it was enough yeah. to teach me that I didn't Tequila, think I could do it. because newspapers. I'll tell you what, one of the things that kind of killed me was you have got to produce right. all the time, on time, and if... I was it's like, it's a problem. It, yeah, and I was like, how do you be, I think? Because, and we've talked to Tony and I have actually talked about this before that 
when you have to pre- like there's a part of your brain that wants to say everything that I write is the best that I can give and then the you have a different real- brain than me yeah <laughs> <laughs> it might be true with you it's not true with Tony so and like I, there's I this really. part of me I think like I wanted every story to like be awesome and great and the best right. that I could give it but I had to do that every single day and you'll get that- killed in journalism with that exactly yeah. I was not cut out for that yeah write one masterpiece a week and then just crank is what you do yeah, I yeah. couldn't swing well, it. We, we were talking about. I was talking about this with um, with our new. We, we have a new um, an intern blogger at at oceancity.com, and I was saying, you know, if you want to be productive, you also have to remember that everything you write isn't going to be right. the best thing Gold. you've ever written. And what's 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 kind of fun about that, and also I think makes it a little bit more challenging, is like we all have stories. Sometimes you can hold a story, and sometimes you can't. And we all have stories, and we are, and we learn from them, or at least we try to learn from them. Where you're like, you know what? If I had stayed up an extra hour last night, this would be an awesome story, and now it's shit. There's no, there's no, like, there's no third way, right? No. And you're like, this could have been so good, and shame on me. And then next time you try a little bit harder, or or you, but you, or you say, you know, this has to be held. But it's hard to hold stories when. You're the only. I, Josh and I have the same literal job, and so when you're responsible right. for filling up an entire newspaper every week, you're like, "Well, it's going to go. They take bigger pictures, but this is going to go." Right. Yeah. See, I the Daily Times taught me. I was freelancer when I worked there, and so I got paid by the story. So I learned if I wanted to eat, I had to write twenty stories a week. Right. And now I have the problem of I have thirty-two pages to fill. If I write twenty stories a week, we can only run eight. And I'm an idiot because I've stretched myself so thin that right. I can't sleep at night, which happens. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> and that's where the alcohol. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, you craft that beer. probably plays into that stereotype of like the newspaper guy or you know the newspaper person who's right. like jaded and drinks and sarcastic. <laughs> and we all talk like and- this. <laughs> <laughs> So you said um, doing my best to derail the whole thing. We like to be derailed. Cool. Seriously, just take this take this Sweet. train off the tracks. So it'll be fine. Um, but no. So you sort of had mentioned you hit on something. Uh, you sort of described them as like sort of Jack Kerouac-ish, I guess. Yeah, I like a, many assholes in my early twenties, late teens, early twenties. Read on the road and went, "This speaks to me," and uh, nerded out about that and read every Kerouac book I could, and then read. Like the Hemingway stuff and Fitzgerald and Thomas Wolfe that kind of influenced him. And then um, kind of read some more modern stuff like Nick Hornby and uh, Michael Chabon and stuff like that. And um, and then finally settled on, on James Joyce and trying to read Ulysses for years, which is fun. I recommend it. Yeah. It'll break your brain. Again, I'll see your Ulysses and I'm halfway through Infinite Jest. All right. If you read Finnegan's Wake, we'll talk. You have to speak six languages to read that book. Yeah. So getting, getting from um, a, a stringer when you, when you were a right. stringer, were you doing were you doing much fiction? How do you how do you find ways? To- yeah, yeah. I actually wrote. I put out my third book. I think while I was doing Daily Time stringing stuff. Um, but I mean, the whole publishing thing, ironically for me, uh, the first thing I published came kind of on a lark, and it was an ebook, and it didn't work out that well. But the second thing was, um, you guys remember those old MSN internet communities in like the late nineties? I know they're, they're like, a thing, but I 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember like the AOL chat AOL rooms. Chat. It was like, like a chat room, maybe. but like everything would stay there forever. So you would have 20 people who would join a board on this topic. And for some reason, this uh, MSN community um, ended up having all these really kind of comparable, strange left field writers. And um, we would workshop stuff on there online. Um, in the Wild West days of the internet. And years later, one of the guys, uh, Sean Barbasi, put together this uh, pretend genius press publishing house and called everybody, or you know, email, as it were, everybody that did this primitive messaging board thing and started putting out our books. That's cool. It was just bizarre. You were in the right place in the right time, and you were published. Now, where is, you know? he? Where is where Where are they? Um, he's in Silver Spring. So here in Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there was there's a guy in Seattle. There's a guy in London who I met um, over there one time. There was um, J. Tyler Blue in Baltimore. I think we had a guy in New York, and we would you know we would go hijack these um, book fairs. We would show up at book fairs with five of us right. and drink some Jack Daniels. And you're not supposed to have authors at book fairs. It's supposed to be like a media thing. But we would show up there and get drunk and sell our books to all the people in Times Square. Oh, that's fantastic. It I, was I, bizarre. Um, let's, let's talk about like a, a writing <laughs> community for, for a little yeah. bit. Because sure. one of the things that, that I think we're doing here with, with Dr. Right. And in, but you have actual people which get to see each other. It's so cool. It's yeah, so different. Yeah. <laughs> you know? because you, so you guys, were, you guys just decided to show up at the same time it wasn't uh... no they would they would say you know we're booking a table on this day this weekend and you would go all right i can make it here i can make it here so four or five of the 12 would make it to an event and now um, stephanie just because i don't know is it is it common to not be supposed to be an author at at these book events or no i mean the last time that I went to one. I went to, uh, we went to uh, BEA, Book Expo America, and there were a ton of authors there. Okay. Um, but that may be a different um, right. venue. I mean, BEA is like the big North American book festival. I mean, you've got everybody from Hachette and Ingram. I mean, just Yeah, these huge... are small press book Okay, fairs. gotcha. Yeah. Well, this has like everybody from like the major, major big players yeah. all the way down to like, those people you know, terrified the us. Little they would chase us press. out of the room. You know, what are you yeah, doing in no, here? But it we was couldn't kinda, get in the door. Yeah, but VEA was pretty cool because we got to. I mean, they had. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the one big guy that we met, David uh, Baldacci. Um, he was there. He does a lot of those, like you know, government spy kind of different mm. different novels or whatever. But so they had a lot of major big authors that came in and gave talks, and then. There were the big publishing houses, and they gave away free books, and it was a pretty intense thing. So you had everyone from booksellers to book buyers, and they had different countries. Like uh, Saudi Arabia had this huge display in the center of BEA. I mean, they built like the Taj Mahal in the middle of like the BEA. It was pretty incredible. But so that a country was, showed up at a book fair. An entire country. Yeah, it was. It was interesting. <laughs> it was a to big see. room. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, but it was interesting to see how publishing is working globally and then the different presses and the different authors and the different booksellers and buyers and what's working and what's not and the things that are coming up so were there authors there that you hated that you wanted to throw fruit at or anything like that? well there it it was funny there was one author who had the longest line so we're walking around bea and we see this line and it's going on and it's going so we keep walking and the line keeps going i'm like 
at first I thought it was like a line for a bathroom or something like that, but then I realized the line was like super, super long. We keep going and it's going and going. Finally, we reached the front of the line and I'm like, well, I'm expecting like JK Rowling or like, you know, some big, it was Bethany Frankel, one of the housewives of some such place, uh, you know, the skinny girl margarita lady. So you threw fruit. Please tell me you threw fruit. I, I would have, okay. I would have, I mean, I was just like, really, you I mean, she had, fruit. she had this crazy long line and I was like, man, and, ugh, it just, I was so sad. That made me so sad. I just was like, let's go drink. Uh, on the upside, not one of those people in that line would have purchased any of your books. This is true. true. Absolutely. True. Just making room for the people who right. can read. Yeah. yeah. Well. You have to be at least this orange in order to yeah, ride. Yeah. yeah. I touched a famous person as, uh, there's a great story about Steve Martin and I don't know if it's true and I don't care. That he hands out cards. He won't sign anything, but he'll give you a business card that says, I met Steve Martin. I would I would probably I frame one. one of those. Yeah. Sweet. I don't know. Yeah, no, but it was weird. I was just like, yeah. But the thing, it does speak to, there's a reason why the, you know, different authors exist because there are different yeah. readers and, you know, it's just a matter of you finding your readers, just like apparently Bethany Frankel found all of hers I have in New them. York. I'm looking for three more. Yeah, well, you know, well, maybe we'll find him here today. (laughs) So, juggling the the writing, and I know for me it was always hard. I know when I was was doing the editing, it it was nearly impossible. And since I was writing nonfiction, it was a lot easier because I could just switch gears. Yeah. Do you... Don't you go home and don't want to do that, though? No, 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 no. really. I, I, I write all. I write yeah. all the time. Tony wants every single thing he ever. He would. <laughs> right. He would publish his like his daily calendar. I yeah. think. You know, like the, what was the final cut of the Robin Williams movie where they record your whole life and then play it back at the end? Right. Yeah, I would do that. I'd yeah. For that in a second. You uh, all need yeah. to know everything. We're such vain editors too that I like we're both sitting here podcasting with glasses on yeah. us if we need to read something. <laughs> <laughs> I need these all the time. I wouldn't see you without these. You're not missing anything. It's fine. I feel like I'm just watching someone talk in the mirror at some point here. It's like this is what I would look like if I were skinny. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, oh, it's like it's just it's just weird. It's like watching like you know someone have a conversation with their younger self at this point. <laughs> but anyway, so so. What do you do to make time? Do you or do you not? Make- lately, nothing. Yeah. No, lately, nothing. You know, we've we've uh, um, the Eastern Shore writer stuff has been a great help just to get back in the flow and being around other people to write. I mean, that's what was great about Pretend Genius is you had a dozen people that you genuinely respected and liked, and you would push each other and you would go, "Well, I put out this fantastic thing." You know, it was like the. Uh, the total Bush League version of, like, the Beatles and the Stones. Well, you know, right, yeah. I, I just put out Rubber Soul. Well, you know, fuck you. We just recorded Sympathy for the Devil. Well, fuck you. Here's Revolver, you know. Right, yeah. You know, not to compare ourselves to that because we were 80,000 light years but in a different medium away, but competition is great. When, especially when it's among among people who all think they're peers. Yeah, right. right. So, and so you're like, yeah, I like you, and if you're doing this work, yeah. and I know what your life is like, then I should be doing the work too because yeah. my life isn't so much different that I can't knock it out. Yeah. I also think, too, having, um, and I, this is something that I found with, now that we have this, um, the Lower Eastern Shore chapter of the Maryland Writers Association, for plug. me, good plug, um, you know, for me, having that sense of community because writing is very much a solitary sport whether it's you know journalism or fiction or whatever you're doing i mean you have to be by yourself focused two hands on the wheel right so 
and, and you can't have somebody hold your hand while you're doing that. So writing is definitely a solitary endeavor. So to have, but, but then you don't want to stay isolated either. So there, I feel that for writers, and this has been one of the things for me, connecting with writers that I respect and people that I look at their work and I'm like, Oh, they're doing good stuff. That connection to other writers, I think helps feed me and make me feel like I'm not doing it in a vacuum. Yeah. Cause I think yeah. producing in a producing in that way, like, you know, when I was sort of isolated and I didn't have contact with a lot of other writers, I noticed a lot of my writing stalled and it, I felt like I didn't know, I didn't really have any feedback to get. So then right. have, but being part of a community, like you say, you were with, um, pretend genius press or what we have here at the, you know, the right. writer's community being able to connect, I feel like has kind of rekindled yeah. those things and kind of given me that, that little nudge forward. I'm like, Oh, well everybody, all the cool kids are doing it. So I have to, too, you know? Right. Because you really do have to like go crawl into a cave to write, you know? I remember none of my friends really did the kind of, that kind of stuff. So you would go off into your dark corner and produce something and people would go, what the hell are you doing in there for four hours at a time banging on that keyboard? Well, I'm writing a book. What's that? Right. Right. Well, (laughs) other things too, but sometimes (laughs) writing. Um, yeah, but having that community of people really helped. You know, instead of my friends supporting me with that, I just used their craziest moments as the basis for novels. Well, I think you said that before. You like you kind of looked around and saw these like drunk, crazy people. But very, very, a lot of them very intelligent and very you know compassionate and and nice people. But in a dark, strange, fucked up place that we all are or get to in in our lives, and um, you couldn't write nonfiction about them because you love them and you didn't want to drag them through the mud but if you turn them into characters into something that no one would ever read hopefully (laughs) you know you could do that or you could just show how much you love them in by hugging them no that was out (laughs) no i'll get out talking to them no come on tony the stories about them you probably you probably could you know and and maybe that's maybe that's the line that you, I, 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 I think of David Sedaris all the time because yeah. he tells the most horrible stories about his family. Right. But there's no question. Yeah. At the end, you're on their side that he's a jerk. <laughs> right. Right. And also, also we're writers and we know we're jerks. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and we have that perspective. You can tell that he has an affection for them. Right. Which is why he dares to say all of these things. Right. Yeah. Yeah, very much. I think if you hate your characters, what are you doing? That's my problem. <laughs> yeah, but also, like, I, I would, al- like but I would also argue that maybe maybe the ones you hate are not the great ones, but the ones that are really kind of terrible are also, or the ones that are really complicated or there's weird. There's something about them. Yeah, there's something about the characters, either the ones that we invent or the ones right. that we... Um, are basing on real life, or maybe there's some that are an amalgamation of you know fiction and real life, or whatever they are. But I always sort of feel like the ones that are damaged or weird or yeah. messed up or broken. I mean, those are the kind of the best ones. I right. People connect with them as well because they're like, oh, I I'm not so bad, or I'm this bad, but it's okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, like I kind of lean toward the latter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I don't know that. I mean, you know, when you read books about people who are just awesome and great and lovely and i'm right. like okay i have nothing fuck that in, guy like i have nothing in common with you right. 
done with you, Jane Austen. You know, like, <laughs> right, right. knock it off, you know. But I don't know. I just sort of feel like there's <laughs> the horrible ones end up sort of being the ones that stick around. My, my old Austrian grandfather calls Jane Austen, by the way, uh, writing for old British ladies, which always made me laugh. <laughs> I don't know. There's a there's a place for every. Again, you know, there's a there's a there's old British ladies all the time. Right. So <laughs> I aspire to be one one day when I grow up. <laughs> so let let's just see if we can take us from from the from the deciding to go full time as a reporter and how much did you think that would affect your fiction and how much did it? Right. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a decision. It was a, something I had to do to live indoors and to be able to eat food. You know? But you did it, right? Because you could have gotten a, a straight job. I could have worked at McDonald's or right. I could have written for a newspaper. And this seemed like you – know, I don't look good in the hat, so I went right. with newspaper. You know, That was generally the, the, the thing that set me over the edge. Um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> You're so proud of that I, I don't look good in the hat thing. And we're like – It's true. No, true. They haven't worn right. in the hat since 1960, right. but we'll let them I was asking – how the transition? Wait, wait, what decade is this? Shit! Transition into journalism. How did you think it was going to affect your writing? And then how- yeah, I knew I was doomed. Um, I knew it would would be hard, and it is hard. Um, I have written books while writing newspaper articles before, and I'm sure I will again. But um, you know, beyond that, I've gone through a lot of strange things in the last four or five years of my life. So. I, there's the way I write the kind of like I said thinly veiled autobiographical fiction there's so much fodder right now that I just have to like reach my hand out into the spinning Ferris wheel and pick something and just go with it um, and that takes a little bit of um, discipline so do you have something that you're working on now I have eight things that I'm working on now eight. I just okay. have to so, that's yeah. a random number but it, it, anywhere between four and ten thousand <laughs> Gotcha. No, I didn't know if you had like a specific project that you were kind of zoning in on now or if, or if you were just sort of like... That's a decision. You know, the, the three books that I had published are all kind of related. They all have the same um, kind of central character, um, which is the protagonist looking at everybody else and gawking. <laughs> but, um, you know, do I go back and massage one of those early things? Like I think um, James Joyce had this book, Stephen Hero, that eventually became Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, which is like one of the great 20th century right. novels. You know, Can you go back and turn your shitty first book that had all the energy but none of the writing instinct or um, you know, refined things that you learn later on in life, can I turn that into something gold or do I just keep going forward to the next thing? Yeah, it's tough. I've, I, I've not ever had a lot of success. I just going backwards. I just yeah. feel so bad for myself at that. Right, for, for right, my past and that may happen. And how, and yeah. how bad I was at what I was. Right now, I'm. I've it's really yeah. Stuff from last week. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would cry if like someone had said, you know, to me today, you have to go back and redo some of the stuff that was in Crossings. But I would don't you just agree? Cry. Like that early stuff has an energy that is just. I mean, it's like. Great music, great books. Like yeah, people do them in their twenties. I think. Then, yeah, I think it sort of feels like we didn't know any better. We were just so right. happy to be doing stuff that we. It right. was just that was it. it. Was like I'm doing this thing and I don't care. And then yeah. now that you get you get older and you're like, oh, I do care. And right. you get cautious and then you get terrible. Yeah, you clip yourself. Yeah, but can you take that energy that you kind of scrawl down and refine it, or is that 
a cop out? Do you ruin it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I, I personally haven't had success with that. Yeah. On the difference, I think is when we think of when we think of great novels written by young people, they're finding new ways to say things. Yeah. And so right. The fresh. The, the freshness is in, is, is, in, is in the voice. Agreed. But lots of, you know, lots of people do lots of great work well in yeah. their 80s. Yes. The thing is, the thing, the thing about a new This is novel, therapeutic. Good. Keep going with this. <laughs> well, the thing, about, the thing about a new novel is it's got, it's got a, a fresh perspective. Like, this is a new way that we're going to write. You know, yeah. Like, Twenty-two, or you know, yeah. all of these, all of these. Ulysses. I, I don't. You, I yeah. don't have. I don't know any better not to try to change the way writing works. Right. And millions of them come out every year, and all of them are awful. Like, yeah. Right. Every now and again, one of them is genius. Mostly, they're really, really, yeah. really bad. Yeah. And I think it's something that we that it's easy to forget because we're like, oh, remember when I was like, so excited and I thought that maybe I could someday be a writer. You know? Yeah. So you have like that that touch of nostalgia. Yeah. But what it comes down to is, can you tell the story well? Yeah. Did you pick the right story to tell? And that's not really connected, I don't think, to age. I I think it's... No, I agree. Yeah, and I think also, sometimes, I think you just have to move forward. Because I know for myself, like... I it's could go back and test. take a. I could go back and I could just chew it and chew it and chew yeah. it and chew it forever. But at a certain point, you have to stop. Yeah, you got to let it go and you got to go forward, or else, yeah. or else you will write. You know, you will be. You know, and that's something I've learned in journalism. I've been beat over the head with. I should know better at this point. Right. Yes, yeah, but I always just let yeah, it go. I always said writing a book was more of an endurance test than anything else. You just have to sit down and do it. It's not hard to write a book. It's hard to write a good book, but you just have to sit down. Yeah. And fucking start typing right you get in the groove yeah yeah i think so um once you don't know that you know where you're going and then you're like oh i see i see how this is gonna go right but you can't and allow yourself you that without sitting down yeah right no it sort of reminds me when you were just talking man there's a hemingway quote he said there's nothing i'm gonna butcher it but he said something to the effect there's there's nothing at all to writing all you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed you know and so it's just that that sense of yeah writing is not hard you can just push you you just put the words down but then being able to do that in a meaningful way for yourself and for the writer and the story or and the reader and the story it it is a very uh it's a very complex task to undertake yeah right now I, i feel like i have to figure out how to reconnect with that sentiment because I, I go to work and I pound out what I need to do and try to tell all these stories and fit everybody in. I have to go back home and go, all right, this is my time to do whatever the hell I want, right. <laughs> you know, and to bleed on my keyboard and not worry about, you know, anyone else. Very That's the cool. trick. Well, we're going to call it a day now. We're just Thank God. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Social things that you you promote your book socially, can, can people find you on the internet? Um, you can look for The Muse and the Mechanism or Vanishing is the Last Art on Amazon or you know any of those big, um, shiny online places. I don't have anything dedicated to it right now. You can look at pretendgeniuspress.com. I think it's just pretendgenius.com. Yeah, and you can still find the books there. And, All right, um, we'll make. Do you, do, you, do you have a Twitter handle? Do you have a Facebook page for your writing? Handle? Hell no, no. <laughs> very good. Well, we'll make. Thank sure you we guys have for links. having me. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Thank you very much for being here. 
So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. To hear more, visit www.saltwatermedia.com. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. And if you want other people to hear more, give us a great review there. Tell your story.